You're listening to Lessons from the Boardroom, a business podcast with Kevin Minton, CEO of Chief Executive Boards. Hello, I'm Kevin Minton, and welcome to our podcast, where we talk with business owners about their journeys and the lessons they've picked up along the way. We're excited uh, to to host our uh, guest, Rob Kornfeld, today, who is going to be uh, joining us. Rob is the president and owner of High Tech Furnace Systems Incorporated, which is located in the metro Detroit area. His company is in the business of designing, manufacturing, and installing resort-style furnace systems to the aero engine, industrial gas turbine, and cutting tool markets. Rob has over 40 years of experience in engineering, sales, and marketing, and international business development and implementation. On a personal note, he resides in the beautiful area of West Bloomfield, which is a suburb of Detroit, along with his wife, Pam. And as a side note, he makes a killer Manhattan cocktail. I know from experience. (laughs) Rob, it's a pleasure having you on our show today, and welcome to our program. Thank you, Kevin. Glad to be here. Hey, Rob, let's go ahead and kind of give our listeners a little bit of background about yourself uh, by telling them uh, a little bit of personal information about yourself and just a little background and a little color, if you don't mind. Sure. I'm Philadelphia native, born, raised in the suburbs of Philadelphia. I've been married to my wife, Pam, for 33 years. I have two children, daughter, Julie, 31 years old, and a son, Danny, 28 years old. And I've been, I acquired high-tech furnace systems in 1996 after a successful career as an executive with a uh, much larger industrial manufacturing company. So Rob, let's, let's dive into that a little bit. Let's, uh, let's talk about your business here. What does high tech furnace systems do? I know I gave a little bit of a, a background, but tell us with a little more color, what does high tech furnace do and who do you guys support? What's the, what's the industries and what kind of clients do you guys deal with? First of all, we're an international business. 60% of my business historically is outside of the United States. We're a niche uh, we produce a, a product that is a it's a niche product, um, a very little competition, highly specialized. The technical name of one of the products is fluoride ion cleaning systems. It is a equipment that's used as part of the repair process of gas turbines. Gas turbines can be either jet engines or industrial gas turbines for power generation. It can also be used for propelling a boat or a tank, a number of different uses. But the majority of our business is related to jet engines and industrial gas turbines for power generation. The fluoridine cleaning system is a large piece of equipment, takes up a significant amount of floor space in a plant, an area anywhere approximately 40 feet by 60 feet. And it, it performs one small process related to the overhaul of a jet engine or industrial gas turbine. But it's a critical process and widely utilized, again, throughout the world by our customers who are on the jet engine side, General Electric, Pratt & Whitney, Rolls-Royce, CFM International, and they're either their own repair facilities or tier one repair facilities throughout the world. On the power generation side, 
GE Power, uh, Siemens, and other Doosan, other large global gas turbine manufacturers who also do their own repairs. We also make a type of other primary product that we make is something called CVD, Chemical Vapor Deposition Systems. And what this product does is it puts a coating on on some of the gas turbine components that permits the components to operate at higher temperatures, which means better efficiency. And that's something that you distribute worldwide as well, I would assume. Correct. Yep. Customers all over the world. Okay. So, Rob, it sounds like a very interesting business. Uh, How in the world did you get started in something like this? Well, I was an executive with a much larger company that was in a related field. We made vacuum heat treatment furnaces, and they were the vacuum heat treating furnaces were used by a number by the same market to do brazing. And many years ago, back in 1992, I had a big project with the Taiwanese Air Force where they wanted to buy a number of vacuum furnaces as well as a fluoride ion cleaning system. So I purchased a fluoride ion cleaning system from high-tech furnace systems, packaged it with a number of vacuum furnaces, and sold it to the Taiwanese Air Force. That's how I got to know high-tech furnace systems intimately. At the time, it was, I wouldn't say, it was a fairly new process back in 1992. It had limited, the process was just being accepted globally because prior to this, the major jet engine manufacturers were against it because they would rather provide new parts as opposed to repair parts. But as the process caught on, it was obvious to users that there was a significant cost savings being able to repair these parts as opposed to replace them. The jet engine sells anywhere for a minimum of about $4 million. So if they could get some more life out of one, it became very economical to repair as opposed to replace components. So that's how I was introduced to the, I knew about the technology, but how I became intimately familiar with high tech back in 92 um, and the company had recently started, uh, we, the company was formed in 1990, really only had a few major sales of systems uh, prior to me acquiring the company. And one day, the former president of high tech called me and said, hey, would your company want to buy me? And I said, no, but I know somebody who may be interested. And he said, who? And I said, me. And the rest is history. We worked out a deal, and I had set an objective for myself that uh, by the time I was 40, I wanted to have my own business. So this was a great opportunity at age 35 to acquire a small business that I could not only afford but uh, easily manage. The only, the biggest risk was I ended up moving my family from the Philadelphia area to. Uh, Michigan, and uh, took a financial risk as well. But uh, I was young, and you know I had plenty of time to recover if it didn't work out. But fortunately, it worked out very well. I was able to grow the business very significantly over the past 25, 24 years, 
we are now recognized as the world leader in this technology. Well, Rob, it sounds like you've had uh, uh, a journey here over the last 24 years in uh, buying the company and growing it to be the successful company that it is today. And uh, throughout that journey, uh, surely you have faced some, you know, some successes and some challenges and some different uh, things uh, along the way that you've had to tackle. And we'd love to hear uh, more about that. So I'm going to just ask you, uh, what uh, you know during your journey here? What's been the biggest challenge that you faced in running this company so far? Well, one of the biggest challenges is that I consistently face is I'm dealing with very large uh, corporations: General Electric, Pratt and Whitney, Siemens, uh, multi multi billion dollar companies, and the equipment that we sell is fairly expensive. The systems range anywhere from a million dollars up to two million dollars. And convincing these large multinational organizations that we are capable of performing, uh, fulfilling a contract. And you know, success speaks for itself. So that's why I leverage that all the time. But starting out when there was only a few systems sold, trying to convince these major corporations to entrust us with a significant financial investment that we would be able to fulfill and support over the years. That was one of the greatest challenges in the beginning. But uh, the solution to that was just being successful. We'll provide a very good product, support it well. The more business you do, the more business you can get. And uh, it sounds simple, but it was really key to our success by providing a very good product, supporting it well, and it just perpetuates from there. And and so you, you had to get over that initial uh, hurdle to begin with in convincing them to do business with you. So you, you may not have had a lot of success under your under your belt at that point. And so how did you do that, Rob? How did you overcome that challenge of of selling these large corporations that you guys could actually do what you, what you were saying that you could do? Well, I would leverage the successes that we had. One of the early sales that we made was to General Electric in Cincinnati, Ohio. And not only was the system successful, but we maintained excellent relationships with the key players within GE, within that GE facility, so much so that they would permit me to bring in prospective customers to see the equipment and meet the staff at GE who was using this equipment on a daily basis. And that went a very long way. That, along with my personal commitment, you know, that they were dealing with the president of the company who would be intimately involved in every phase of their project, gave them the assurance that we would be successful and that they were making the right decision. And again, the more we, the more I sold, the easier it was to sell even more. Yeah. The good news is, is that you, it sounds like you had a proponent in your, in your repertoire here that you could use to springboard additional business. So you had somebody in your corner there at GE in Cincinnati, and 
you, you know, you putting your, your, your personal uh, interest into this as well uh, must have exuded some confidence uh, that, that helped you to grow along the way. Having gone through that situation, and I'm, I'm sure that that took time to build, that took time to, to leverage that, that took time to grow and, and continue to grow your, your company and so forth. What did you take away from that experience? What, what did you learn from that challenge, Rob, that you would, that you would share with others? Well, the, I guess one of the keys was to, in order to leverage a major corporation like General Electric, I didn't have to deal with, uh, at the time, uh, you know, Jeffrey Imelt or the, you know, the guys way at the top by gaining the trust and friendship of the engineers in the facility who were the decision makers within that facility, you know, permitted me to establish relationships. And then subsequently they were willing to assist us by permitting me to bring in prospective customers to see the equipment by, you know, establishing these relationships, not not only on a, a professional level, but also on a personal level, where I could call and say, "Hey, can you do me this favor? I'm bringing in some people from XYZ company. When's a good day next week?" And I never had a problem. They were always willing to help because they knew that we helped them, and they were willing to reciprocate. So a so lot of it was just based on. You're providing excellent customer support, and it's been something we've done not only with GE but with all of our customers. And for the majority of, uh, you know, we have excellent relationships with all of our customers to the point where I can ask them for a favor because whenever they need a favor from me, I also provide that. So you bring up a very important point here, Rob, in that. It's not just about selling a product. It's about doing what you say you're going to do, living up to that commitment, and also building, taking the time to build that social capital that you need in order to have somebody in your corner that believes in you, that trusts in what, what you say you're going to do, and, and to help you along the way. Would you say that uh, just, I mean, just tell me a little bit about that. I mean, would it, would it, was it just as important in your mind to not only to live up to that commitment, but to build that, to take time and energy to build that social capital with those engineers and those in those plants? Yeah, it is, and it's, and it wasn't purely from a business standpoint uh, of looking forward to the next, you know, that I could leverage it. It was more about a mindset of helping. A customer out, uh, supporting them when they're in time of need. I mean, this is million. You know, the equipment was is very expensive, and in most cases, or many situations, it's operated round the clock, twenty four seven, except for a little bit of downtime for maintenance. And if they have a problem, we are very responsive, and they appreciate our customers appreciate that and recognize that as a unique. Uh, feature or that our support is excellent. And by doing so, you know, they are willing to help us in other ways, such as recommend us, 
host visits and nothing sell nothing is more convincing to a prospective customer than hearing a current user pro you know, talk talk about all the good things and the support and the reliability of our equipment it means so much more coming from them than it does coming from me so i let my customers be the ones to actually sell my prospective customers what a fantastic way to grow your company, uh, Rob, and, and letting someone else be uh, the credible voice in helping you to sell and, and, and demonstrating that, you know, you can help them to be successful. And I also like the, the, the methodology or the mindset that you, that you used. It was all about helping them, helping them to be successful. You, you didn't look at it and what you could get out of it, but what could you do to help them? to be successful and what a, what a great way to sort of overcome that challenge and, and help you to establish yourself so that you could become uh, successful and, and grow your company. And so with, with that being said, we've, we've talked about, you know, the biggest challenge that you faced along the way and how you deal with these large companies. What's been the biggest success that you've seen along the way, Rob? Well, one of the early successes I had was in 1998 uh, when I was able to sell a, it was about a $2 million project to MTU. It's a, a company based in Hanover, Germany, worldwide reputation uh, in the jet engine repair business. You know, fulfilling that made big, big project with a worldwide recognized foreign company and successfully completing that project, that was key to our early success, that we were able to pull that off. You know, this small company in suburban Detroit providing a multi-million dollar system to a company in Germany and getting it operational and successfully uh, functioning and supporting them over the years. But that was, I, I always, I use the line, we're a small company that does big things. And that was one of the early examples that I was able to leverage. And since then, I've been able to bring particularly European customers into the MTU facility, again, because of the relationship that I was able to establish with them and leverage that, that you know, here is this small company that can do big things. And so what do you think it, that led to that opportunity for you to be able to do a sizable contract like that with MTU? Uh, what do you, what do you think led to that success that, you know, for them to give you that opportunity or to uh, even ring your phone at, at that time back in 1998? Cause that, that was fairly early in your career when you'd had at first taken over, uh, high-tech furnace and so right. some, something must have led to that yeah well yeah they there at the time there was only two companies in the world who provided this type of equipment and i was able to very quickly identify the key individual within mtu who was this decision maker and I knew that by winning him over, that he was the key to the success. And I was able to find all of his 
you know, what it was that um, his key points, his his pain, you know, what it was that he would want to do to make this project successful, and structured everything toward him. And as a result, you know, we established a, a friendship, a relationship, and he trusted me that we would do what we said we were going to do. And we did. And it worked out very well for both companies. But was this a- one of the keys was just this, you know, establishing that relationship with the right person. Was this a situation where he rang your phone or did you reach out to him to proactively try to sell this service to him? Nope. They, they contacted us. Uh, it was a, the initial contact came from one of their buyers of, of uh, capital equipment. Uh, they have you know, buyers for everyday products, but then also for the big investments. And that buyer had really no technical experience except but he knew how to write a major a big contract but the plant engineer was the guy that i had to win over and once uh they they came over i yeah they came over for a visit uh i I took them to the ge facility in cincinnati and then subsequent meetings either both in um, michigan and then also in hanover germany and outline the project management uh, program, how we would perform this project and get it done in the time frame that they wanted. And we worked closely together and, you know, he, he trusted me and to do what we said we were going to do. And we did. And, and you also had the ability to demonstrate it by taking him to the GE plant there in Cincinnati. How long did that sales process take, uh, Rob, you know, for you to kind of get through that from the moment that they called you to when you were able to actually close the deal? That was about a two-year process. Wow. But that was not one of the longest. The longest one was uh, (laughs) Delta, not Delta Airlines, Delta Tech Ops, which is the repair, the maintenance side of Delta, much larger actually than the airline. I started, I had my initial conversations with Delta in 1996, soon after I acquired the company, because uh, I had worked previously with Delta on the vacuum furnace side, had my contacts there, introduced them to this technology. So from, and it took 20 years in 2016, 20 years later, they finally placed an order for a dual use system. One, uh, it performs both the fluoride ion cleaning process and the chemical vapor deposition process. So it was a 20-year sales process. And over that 20-year period, a number of things happened that where the project was put on hold, we went through September 11th, we went through SARS, the many peaks and valleys of uh, the aerospace industry over that 20-year time frame. And after you know, finally receiving that order in 2016, uh, a very, very successful installation and operation of the equipment, another excellent relationship with the key engineers on site. And I have been able to bring people into that facility, you know, prospective customers into that facility. And like I said previously, having my customers do my, do the selling for me. And by prom- by just talking about the equipment, how reliable it is, and how reliable we are as a company from a 
aftermarket support standpoint. That's what you know, has, per, has brought up, permitted me to have a, a number of other uh, successes since then. Wow. So a 20 year selling cycle, uh, you, you, you know, that's the definition of persistence, Rob. So <laughs> thank you for sharing that with us. Let's, let's just talk a little, little bit about, uh, now that you've, you've discussed the, uh, the challenge that you've overcome, the, you know, the major successes that you have seen throughout the years, uh, how has this journey affected your personal life and your personal relationships? Well, Early on, I would work ridiculously long hours, but I always, I always tried to manage the family life balance where my wife was very supportive of this from the onset that you know, we moved away from where both of us were raised, moved out to Michigan with two little kids. And she knew that I was going to be putting in you know, a lot of hours but I always found that balance where I was still able to coach both of my children's soccer teams where, uh, and make it be home for the important uh, family events. You know, there were nights where I would work till nine o'clock, but other times where I would leave the office at 4.30. And one of the great things about being a small business and being the owner is I was able to have that flexibility but also the support of my family to recognize that, hey, there were times where I had to work late at night and sometimes weekends, but other times they recognized that, hey, not every dad can just take off of work and coach a soccer practice for two hours twice a week. So having the family support was uh, definitely key. Did you, did you get that buy-in up front, Rob, or was it something that you think you acquired along the way? Actually, my wife was probably the one who pushed me initially she, a pre, you know, rec- my previous position as a director at a much, much larger company, she always felt that, you know, I made good money, but she didn't feel that I was rewarded enough for all of the hard work that I did. And why I was always, you know, I, I was tired of making money for other people. And she fully supported that. She said, you know, you work so hard, you're, do such a good you you do such a good job, but you're not rewarded as well as you should be. And she didn't really look at it from the financial standpoint. She just didn't think I was being appreciated. Yeah, that uh, the company didn't. You know, I was paid well, but uh, wasn't appreciated. So she was probably one of the driving forces behind my decision with, that I made at age 35. That by the time I was 40. I wanted to own my own business and it happened very quickly. So it sounds like she's the one that just sort of gave you the little push or the nudge that you might've needed. And, uh, and, and, you know, that, that example that you use there is probably one of the, one of the key driving forces that either creates entrepreneurship or, or that motivation for people to step out from the corporate veil to be able to form their own company or to buy their own company and to run their own company uh, and, and have that motivation. So over the right, years, that, I'm sorry, yeah, go that ahead. nudge was definitely important. And also having that support where she recognized and was willing to uproot our family and know that it was going to be a very challenging in the, particularly in the early years. Rob, throughout the years, if you had a chance 
to do it all over again, what's the one thing that you think you would do different or change? Not really sure. What I well, well, I guess the one thing I would do we could have we could have grown uh, become a much larger company. You know, had a greater vision and willingness to bring on additional people at the risk of costing you know more money, but to grow the business and not do everything myself. Um, and one of the problems of being a an owner and somewhat of a micromanager, and because of my background with, you know, I have an engineering degree, went to graduate school for engineering, and also have an MBA, where I think I can do everything myself. And I can't. You need to leverage others. And had I leveraged others more earlier on, we probably could have been even more successful. But by the same token, <clears throat> I learned at a very early point that you know, growth just for growth's sake isn't really that important. Uh, it's more important to, to just have a good product and make money. And to be big just for the sake of being big really isn't that important, except when it comes to selling a business. <laughs> because you know, my company, again, is a fairly small from a total revenue standpoint. And when it comes time for me to sell, it's, it's, it's going to take the right kind of strategic buyer to acquire me because you know, I'm not big enough to be a platform for a, an, an industrial manufacturing company. I see, Rob. And, and so, again, thank you for, for taking the time to share you know, the, uh, the different things that you've gone through, what you would have changed, the personal side of this journey along, uh, alongside of the business aspects of being involved in this for 24 years. And, uh, so I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just pivot here and ask you the question that I always ask everyone. And that is, what is it that you believe that makes some people successful while others tend to struggle? I would say it's persistence. I'm, I don't give up. I've, Again, I, I cite the Delta example, but you know, over those 20 years, the consistent touching uh, contacts with the with the customer, you know, just saying, okay, you know, we're here, ready to go, and then with other projects uh, or potential projects, just the, the follow through, standing by your commitments, but maintaining that constant uh, the persistence. That's really key. Don't give up. Nothing comes well, easy. You got to really work at it. And and the thing about that, you never know where your next opportunity is is going to come. None of us have a crystal ball, and uh, it's it's hard to see that sometimes. So, well, uh, Rob, what is it that makes you optimistic about the future of high tech furnace? Well, our primary markets, the two major markets that we serve, jet engine and industrial gas turbines, they're not going away. Granted, you know, uh, currently there's a bit of a downturn in uh, commercial air travel, and that you know that'll have an impact on us for the next couple of years. But there are still tens of thousands of aircraft out there that will be utilized and require overhaul. And until a major shift uh, a shift change comes, where we re- resort to electric powered airplanes, which is in the uh, 
you know, in the early, early phases, but it's going to be 20 years out. So, you know, I see the demand for our technology will continue for the easily for the next 20 years, if not longer. And as long as we continue to make to be the the world leader by providing good equipment and good customer support and service, we'll continue to do well. Our market is not disappearing, and you know, unless we screw it up, we will do well. <laughs> um, it sounds like you've got a great model uh, for success, and you've been able to build some fantastic relationships along the way over the past 24 years and uh, position your company to be around for, for the long haul. Rob, uh, thank you so much for sharing your journey with our listeners today. We're about out of time, and I want to wrap this up, and I want to give you the opportunity to uh, please share with our listeners where they might go to be able to connect with you and, and learn more about high-tech furnace systems. Yeah, um, our website is uh, www.hi-techfurnace.com, and I can be reached at rkornfeld at high dash tech furnace.com. My business phone number is 586-566-0600. And be happy to talk to anyone who is interested in what it's like to run a small technology company. Thank you for sharing that, Rob. Uh, I'm sure that our listeners will uh, appreciate that, and those that are in need will certainly reach out to you. Again, our guest today has been Rob Kornfeld, the owner and president of High Tech Furnace Systems, located in the suburbs of Detroit, Michigan. Rob, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show today, and I hope we have an opportunity to bring you back for another podcast episode, and I look forward to reconnecting with you again soon. Thank you, Kevin. It's been my pleasure. The Lessons from the Boardroom podcast is sponsored by Chief Executive Boards. It's lonely at the top, but that doesn't mean you need to go it alone. We've got your back. At Chief Executive Boards, you have access to business best practices, insights, and resources that can help you eliminate the stress, anxiety, and pitfalls of running a business. Whenever you're ready, here's how we can help. Number one. Get a copy of Kevin's book, In Search of Balance, The Business Owner's Guide to Building a Business and a Life at chiefexecutiveboards.com slash book. Number two, attend a Chief Executive Boards event in your area to find out if CEBI can help you. For a list of upcoming events in your area, go to chiefexecutiveboards.com slash events or call 864-527-5917.